Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time I put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 117, that's 117, of the Corona Diaries. Hello. Oh, you didn't breathe in then, did you? No, I was just thought, you know, thought I'd just breathe out instead. Right. Okay. Well, in, out, I suppose one of them's, a, one mm. of them's worth doing. Mm. Mm. Um, we, um, we need to talk a, a bit more about the essence of age. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I do think that a little bit. I'm here calls. to help. I'm here yes, to well, help. Yes, well, that's good. Thank, thank you, caller. Um, because the first episode, um, well, it, was a, it was a monster. It was mammoth. Maybe that's the essence of age. M- mammoth. Mammoth. <laughs> part mammoth, part man. Right. Do you know how loud seagulls are? Um. That's a hell of a question, you know, Mm. just out of a blue sky, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, No, I don't know how loud. Well, they are bloody loud. I once once had a holiday in St Ives and there was a lot on the roof and they drove us round the twist, arcing and squawking from Mm. dawn onwards. They are loud. Particularly aggressive, the St Ives, um, actually, the the seagull in St Ives. They're very aggressive. They don't off go after your chips. Ah, we had one up in Scotland. Now, where's that? Where you get? Um, we were on our way to the, the the ferry to the Isle of Skye, and we were right the way up there, and we had a seagull come down and whip our chips. Mm. So the Scottish seagulls are quite aggressive, as I'm sure that won't come as a surprise. No, oh, you bastard! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you had a Scottish seagull accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's worth the cost of entry alone. We were in. We went to Scarborough over the weekend, and we stayed over in a very, very, very nice place called the Boot and Bike. Um, and, but it was quite, it was quite muggy uh, at the coast over the weekend. It's quite clammy and a bit, you know. And so we had the windows open, and they don't half make. A, they don't shut up either. It's all night. Yeah. Were you North Bay or South Bay? We were, it's South Bay, it's very near that big bridge where everybody used to throw themselves off before they put the big fence up. All right. It's uh, sort of the valley, the valley bridge road, whatever it is, so we were, mm. we were there. It's very near the Grand Hotel, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's really nice, it's quite, uh, it's quite boutique-y and hip. The boot and what? The boot and bike. Boost and bike. Well, I won't be able to get in there now. It could be full of purples. Um, but, um, well, it was it was full of Westlife fans on Saturday night because Westlife were playing the open air theatre. All right. Um, was Ronan singing? Is he is he with them or not with them? No, no he's not. He's, he's not part of the. He's not part of it anymore. He wasn't part of the of the um, thing. No, there was only four of them, and there were originally five, weren't there? I don't know. I 
don't yeah, know much about, about boy bands. No, really. there was the, but the hotel was full because of Westlife. Uh, and then it's full again on Tuesday because Tom Jones is there. I was once on a plane with Take That. Did I ever mention that? Not that I want to name drop, but I was I was, on a, was in business and they were all in business and I was flying down from somewhere. I'd, I'd been and done some interviews, I think. And, uh, God, they were a pain in the arse. Really? Well, yeah, they were just really loud and obnoxious and, you know, and I was really... Gary Barlow advertises for Marks and Spencers now. I was really jealous. (laughs) That's probably the problem. I was thinking, look at those loud, obnoxious people having fun. Mm. That's what I should be doing. Um, Maybe that's what was up with me. They They used to shop in the Sainsbury's that Alison used to work at in Oldham. Did they? Mm. What, take that? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, before they were massive, massive. Before the kind of, you know. But yeah, they used to shop in they used to shop in there. He was in there all the time. What's his face? Um, oh, what's it? Mark Owen. Little Mark Owen. Used oh, no, he's a nice fella. I, I met Mark Owen. Now, I've had a bit of, just a small bit of history with Mark Owen because Craig Leon, who produced Ice Cream Genius, I think the next thing he did after ICG... Was, now. was Mark Owen's solo so album The Green Man? Was it called? Yeah, which is actually which is actually really quite good. That doesn't surprise me because Craig knows what he's doing, and um, and I think I went to. I'm pretty sure I went to Abbey Road and uh, hung out and uh, hung out a bit with Mark one evening and Craig and had a cup of tea. And then I ran into Mark Owen again at, uh, at a Rufus Wainwright show in um, Shepherd's Bush Empire. I think I've got Mark Owen on one side of me and uh, Neil Tennant on the other, like you do. Um, and Mark was looking really sandwich, isn't it? <laughs> Mark was looking really kind of low and down and out and. You know, the band had long since split up. And I said, how are you doing? I said, going, oh, I'm not doing much and blah, blah, blah. And he was he was looking pretty down and out. And then like mm. two years later, <laughs> they're playing stadiums again. Yeah. And, and uh, he probably wouldn't even throw me a jam sandwich from the roller these days. But he was a very nice chap. Mm. I did like his cellar. I thought his cellar was great. But now they used to shop in that Sainsbury's, and I once queued up behind Sarah Lancashire in that Sainsbury's as well. Ah, now who's she? She was Raquel in Coronation Street, but then she's gone on to do loads of other stuff. Happy Valley's hers, and she's done various other bits and pieces. Was she the sort of strawberry blonde with a sort of... No. No. No, she was the dizzy, kind of dizzy blonde. Oh, all right, no. Well, I never watched Corrie, to be honest. Not since Ina Sharples. <laughs> we are going back a while. You dropped a Coronation Street reference in a couple of weeks ago. It was in a Croomcast. Was it Elsie Tanner you mentioned? <laughs> yeah. Well, Elsie Tanner's very handy for a, you know, for a rhyme. <laughs> Elsie Tanner was very handy, probably with the fists. <laughs> it's a great name. No, no, that's a joke for a particular demographic. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is probably most of our audience, well, actually. To <laughs> maybe. Yeah, we're probably safe for that. Anyway, let's get back onto the essence of age. Oh, yes. Quick, quick recap, quick recap for you. We were trying to pick one song. I came up with a bonkers idea. One song from every one of the Marillion albums, the original Marillion albums that you've been involved in, uh, which kind of 
is is the essence of you. So it might be autobiographical or it might just be something that very much is in tune with, in, in my case, how I think of you having done 116 episodes of this. So this is based on my experience of you. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, so far, I think we agreed on, we agreed on Easter, we agreed on uh, Dryland, we pretty much agreed on Hollow Man. There was mm. some debate um, about Beautiful versus King. Mm. We agreed on um, This Strange Engine. Um, and then I think we got as far as Radiation, which actually there were quite a number of options because I'd written down These Change and a few words for the dead, but you'd also talked about Three Minute Boy, um and uh, now she'll never know. So there, there was quite so we could so there's not there's no clear cut radiation option, right? Which moves us on, which moves us on. So we, we're not going to go back over those games, otherwise we're going to be weeks and weeks and weeks of this. So we've now got we're moving on to dot com. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight to go, right? So I've written down. And I and and see dot com hmm? don't know. Uh, so I wrote down. Um, I wrote down Rich. Mm. Mm. That was that was uh, that was my my dot com choice. Well, I nicked a lot of that, you know. Um, <laughs> I did nick a lot of it. I nicked a lot of it from various, uh, you know, famous people who who'd been attributed with certain quotes, um, and I'd been sent a list of those. Um, and so, you know, I think reality is something that you rise above was probably something Liza Minnelli had said or something like that. There were all of these sort of people from way back when. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. That I stole them all from 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 various quotations. Um, avoiding danger is you know, safer in the long run. I mean, obviously, I reworded the fearful fall, foul of fate, just yes. for alliterative, for my own yes. kind of alliterative um, sensibilities, uh, as often as reckless. Um, so, if you, there's always another chance for you. Yeah, failure isn't about falling down; it's about staying down. So that they were all nicked. Um, so, so but, I've got that one completely wrong. Right. Well, we better well, go through the you list. You haven't, then. because because in a way, because that is how I view life, and right, so okay. they, I, I chose them in order uh, yeah, to make yeah. that point. You know that 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 you can be rich, and you know that that to be truly rich has nothing to do with money. Obviously, no. it's to be enlightened. Well, it's so, to be listening to this. Exactly. Exactly. Thou art rich, oh listeners. <laughs> so, so going back to going back to dot com then. So I pick rich. Yeah. So we we would have a legacy, deserve, go, rich, enlightened, built-in bastard radar, tumble down the years, interior Lulu, and house. Hmm. Hmm. Sixty-two minutes and twenty-eight seconds. There's a. L- By I the mean- way, what a great album dot com is. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, oof. again, you know, if you're talking about what you might call my essence, um, there's a lot of songs in there that reflect my journey and and the um, the um, the dysfunctional state I was in at the time. You know, with my my 
my marriage going down and everything, which is what house is about. House is about a house that aches, you know, when, when you know, a marital home becomes, uh, becomes that shell that encases those two key elements that have gone wrong, which are the, you know, the people who, who bought the house as a, as a marital home. Um, when that goes wrong, the house itself starts to ache, you know, and, and so a lot of a lot of the 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 imagery and in that in in that song is is about the pain I I was in as a, as I knew our marriage was going down, uh, you know. What's that about the hi-fi? Quiet, it's quiet at all volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, you know, the the silence finds a way to stay. Um, so that's very much about where I was at. Um, what else is on there? Deserve you might you might um, you might conclude is a lot of what I'm about. Um, now. Do you know what? I'm actually just going to put into the chat, as I did when we were talking last week, I put the list in. Um, and I, if you'll see, I put deserve slash rich. Right. That was that was me too. Uh, and then I sort of ruminated on it a little bit and went rich probably of the two. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, we get the seas that we deserve, the spores on the breeze that we deserve. I wrote a very, very long time before COVID. And I think I put the spores on the breeze in the, I stuck it just for devilment. I stuck it in um, Reprogram the Gene, didn't Eugene. I? Yeah, you did. I lobbed that in just for, just as a, I mean, that's a bit um, egoistic, isn't it? To start referencing your own words. I would absolutely <laughs> say you should do it, particularly if nobody else is. <laughs> Sting did it, you know, right at the end of... Uh, it's a big enough umbrella, but it's always me that ends up getting wet. What was that? And at the end of uh, every little thing she does is magic, yeah. which was a reference back to "Don't Stand So Close to Me," wasn't it? And well, I thought the, Be- the Beatles did it. Did they? Paul, did Paul they? sings a bit of "She Loves You" at the end of um, "All You Need Is Love," doesn't he? He does. That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. And John sings. The walrus was Paul in Glass Onion. So there we are. There we are. Hey, you're in good company there. Yes. <laughs> I wish we should got their money. I don't mind telling you, but <laughs> right. So we'll we quite happy with we quite happy with Rich. It, there's nothing else anymore nailed on. House has got an autobiographical vibe to it. Um, pointing, I, you know, I was going for more of a more general you rather than a point in time you so deserve is kind of what i'm about you know the, right. that feeling of um really what it's saying is be careful who you envy you know because the people you look at and think wow they've got it made that's the life um you might not want to be in their skin if you could be you know and, and actually live their life you might think god I'm not. I don't want to be in here for long. <laughs> it's hell. 
Right. So deserve. We'll we'll settle on deserve. I was close. That takes us to uh, anorachnophobia. Oh. Um, now what's on there? And well, I'll, do you know what? Let me uh, let me let me quickly see if I can get a list. God, we made a lot of music. You have made a load of music. Um, right. So between you and me, hmm. quartz map of the world. When I meet God, fruit of the wild rose. Separated out. This is the twenty first century. If my heart were a ball, it would roll uphill. Hmm. So I went with, I went with quartz. Right. I'd probably have gone with when I meet God. That way. was the other one I thought about. That's, you know, it's probably... Um, well, between you and me was, was... I don't know if I've said this before, but the opening line of that, um, today I saw music in the sky. I was driving uh, I was driving somewhere and I was on a motorway bridge over the M40 and it was a really beautiful blue day. And there were lines in the sky, and it looked like a stave of music. There were, um, there were, you know, aircraft vapor trails, and little blobs in between them. And it really looked like, like a, a piece of uh, manuscript. And I go, look at that! There's music in the sky. I wish I could read it. I'd sing it if I could, if I could read music. Uh, um, and um, so that's that was a that was a true little moment. Um, meet me in the church we're getting a state <laughs> um, and um, but no but probably it would be between and Quartz you know that's it's a nasty little song really Quartz it was me having a go at someone and I won't say who it was but it was about um, a friend I used to have who um, you know, turned out to be someone I wouldn't really want to be around anymore. Um, you know, I can imagine nothing more tedious than trying to have fun with you again. So it's quite, it's quite an unpleasant little song. Um, what else was on there? What did you say? Uh, oh, well, yeah, I... when I meet God was really off the balls and no solution. Dave Megan. Got onto that, and um, he really badgered badgered me to to work on that song. Uh, I I think I again it was just a little jam, and I think at some point I'd I'd sang if the bottle's no solution, why did it feel so warm? And if that girl is no solution, why did she feel so warm? And Megan just got onto it, and he wouldn't let that go. And he kept bringing me back to it. And I had a bit of a downer on it, and I'll tell you why. Because um, I thought it was a rip-off, me ripping off um, Whiskey in the Jar by Thin Lizzy. Now, I was never a really big fan of Thin Lizzy. And if you if you look at Whiskey, if you think about Whiskey in the Jar, the the verse goes da 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 and so because I'd sang it, if the bottle's no solution, why it feels so warm? I said, we can't use that, Dave. It's fucking whiskey in the jar. And he was going, 
No, 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 no. Be all right. Be all right. Oh, it's a nice line, that. Bottle's no solution. I like that. So he badgered me into, you know, into going forward with that song and it eventually ended up the way it, it did. And I'm glad he did because it's a really, it's a precious song uh, for me, that one. Um and I think that's probably a song that's touched a lot of people who've been at a really low ebb. Um, so it nearly never got written because of the uh, because of Thin Lizzy. But if anybody's going to tell you it's okay, then it's Dave. I mean, everybody in Ireland's made money out of whiskey in the jar. <laughs> it's the only song you hear in Dublin. You or Dave pub to pub. It's the only one playing. Well, Dave's made money out of ripping it off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, outside of the middle of December through till Christmas, when it's Fairy Tale of New York, that's the only song you hear in Dublin. Yeah, well, I saw the Eric Bell Band in uh, in Doncaster back in the seventies, and it was Eric Bell that I think he had a lot to do with it. I don't know if he. It, it's they didn't write it, did they? I think it was a traditional, yeah, it was traditional, a traditional yeah, Irish yeah. song, and they yeah, yeah. they just covered it and. I remember the Eric Bell band because I think Eric Bell had been with Thin Lizzy and then left right in the very early days um, before before they sort of came, went down to a three-piece with... Um, I never met Phil. Uh, me, I think Megan worked with Phil Lennett, to be honest. So I think, I think David actually worked with him at one point. Mm. Um, I met Scott Gorham. He's very nice. I ran into him one day, and he was—he was, you know, unnecessarily pleasant, like mm. Ronnie Wood. You know, some mm. people are, some people are just are pleasant to you, even though they don't have to be, and they're the ones you remember. I mean, their version is—it's the guitar, isn't it? That's so iconic in that as well. And it's a ding, 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 ding. That mm. thing, yeah. That thing. It's a bit like reading in the years, Steely Dan. You just remember the guitar, don't you? You know, just remember the guitar, but the guitar is a big part of it. Mm. Okay. Um, marbles. Gosh, gosh. Well, see, I've I've gone on the money. I've I've just <laughs> I've put everything: the house, the mortgage, the whole lot. <laughs> I've just gone on what I'm thinking is the safe bet, and I've just gone boom, fantastic place. Right. Well. Well, it's, that's the it, house it, gone then. It, no, it's hard to define. I mean, in in many ways, the little the little marble sections themselves sections. Are, are so core to you know the, the my childhood memories. Um, and I did, you know, we did play marbles in the street. Me and my mates, me and John Leedale, a lot, and it did mean the world to me. And and we did mm. sit. I did end up with a fantastic collection of marbles in a big bag with about four or five hundred in and um we did we did belt them up into the sky one sunny afternoon with tennis rackets and they did come down through all the greenhouses on the estate and there was a queue at the gate of irate blokes (laughs) and my dad my dad did give my marbles away um to uh this kid up the street who I didn't like. It wouldn't have been so bad if he'd given them to John, but he gave them to somebody I didn't like, and that that was really cutting. 
Um, and it took me a long time. You know, that, that stayed with me. <laughs> oh, that stayed with me to be sure. Um, so that's very core to who I was as a kid. And then obviously other songs on the album are you know, deeply, deeply personal. The Invisible Man, um, my goodness. And um, and fantastic player. So very hard to... To pick one of that. Neverland too, to be honest. Mm. Um, Neverland I wrote for my ex-wife, you know. Uh, I wrote about what she represented to me. I um, don't know if she knows that, but... But I did. Um, so an awful lot in my... What else is on there? Jeannie. I mean, that was another true thing that had happened. I'd ran into someone who in Berlin who claimed she was in spiritual contact with me and she wanted me to fly to Berlin and spend the weekend with her so she could tell me all about it. And I'm like, well, look, I'm married with kids. I can't do that kind of thing. He said, no, this is really important. I'm going, well, it might be important to you, but, you know, it's not the kind of thing I can do. Um, it's I'm, Hawaii or nowhere. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know either, you know, some of those things um, when they're that spooky. You know, we lived together in a former life and I can feel you moving around the world and I know how you feel and I know, you know, when you're short of breath, I'm short of breath and you think, that's too weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know because it might it might affect my life, it might change my life and I'd like to... Uh, if I'm going to mess my life up, I'd like to do it myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> and God knows I have. Um, so it's a bit strange when you're, in inverted commas, famous because you do run into people. You run into a lot of people, actually, male and female, who, who really feel that they know you because if you're the kind of writer I am and you write a lot of true things, then I do put my myself out there into the air. And, and, and so everybody, everyone who thinks they know me is probably right. They probably do. Um, so it's a bit of a weird one to share yourself so widely and so globally. And every now and again, it, it kind of comes back and bites you in the arse a bit um, if you're not careful. And that's not to say that it doesn't bite you in the arse with any animosity. It, it, it all comes from it all comes from love, but you can have too much love. Too much love will kill you. It sure will. Will do you in. Forgive, 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 forgive. So Marbles is a difficult one because it there's a lot on there. It's kind of the kind of almost no wrong answer for Marbles. I remember being in um I think I was in Amsterdam when I wrote The World's Gone Mad and I've Lost Touch. Uh I shouldn't admit it, but I have. It slipped away while I was distracted. I haven't changed, I swear I haven't changed. And that was 
I wrote that a long time before I wrote the rest of the of of that lyric because I was I'd got to that age where everything was sort of slipping away and I was thinking about music as well and how music had moved on and and how I'd lost touch uh, with the scene because when I was in the Europeans we were very much part of the scene and we were quite hip and then uh, bit by bit you know you get to an age where you, and it doesn't take long it only takes two or three years and, you, and it's all gone past you and you suddenly belong to something that feels out of date. Um, you know, an Oasis and Blur had happened and Britpop had happened and suddenly I, I felt, I, I felt you know, like an old fart from way back when. I managed to do that in no time. <laughs> and that realisation, oh, I've lost touch, I shouldn't admit it. But I have, you know, slipped away while I was distracted. And now, you know, I'm here and uh, I shout my name in the public places. No one seems to notice. Um, so that was about walking undetected through a city. Um, it's funny being famous because sometimes you can't walk down the street because you you know you're a bit bit uncomfortable. People are looking at you and observing you, but then you can walk down another street where nobody gives a damn, and that bothers you as well. <laughs> Think, God, I'm, you know, <laughs> I've lost it. Well, however fast you think that sensation happened from being hip to not being hip, just be thankful you weren't Jedward. <laughs> happened overnight. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm permanently thankful though I wasn't Jedward. And you'd have been left with that hair, wouldn't you? <laughs> what have they been left with? Um, I, I mean, where are they? And and no, that must be. I feel for them, to be honest. I do feel for them. How how do you get through life after that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll do one more before we go to diary. Um, and, so, and we've got as far as somewhere else. And, and mm. I'm, I'm having a really bad morning, actually. I've not done very well with with my suggestions so far. Well, actually, not too bad. Fantastic place from here. Okay, deserving rich from here. Um, somewhere else. So <laughs> I went with, I struggled with somewhere else. I struggled with somewhere else. Um, and I went with somewhere else itself. Yeah, I think that's spot on. That's spot on, really. Um, I'd split up with me ex-wife. It was Christmas. And um, I'd got nowhere to stay. I went and stayed with Mosley for a couple of days. And then Mad Jack said, well, me and Ange are going up to the northeast for Christmas. You can stay in our house if you want. It's empty. And so I moved into their house and they had all of this, I can't quite remember it, but they had all of this um, gold wallpaper in the bedroom. Um, 
And I can't remember if there was anything. Maybe there were some prints with hieroglyphics or something on them. And I woke up one morning, you know, in the in the in the depths of having just been thrown out from my marital home. Um, I woke up not knowing where I was, which is something that often happens to me. Um, in this room full of gold and Egypt, you know, Egyptology, and that's where all of that woke up in a spaceship, a shimmering gold, to calm and sleep, and she left him alone. Um, came from that. Um, this rock star trip, some serious shit. White knuckle turning, black of my own, bust my lip. That woman from the Antiques Roadshow, um, what, what's her name? Um, she lived next door and she took me yeah. in on Christmas Eve. Yeah, we've mentioned this before. Yeah, that was that was really sweet of her. I ended up singing Christmas carols with her grandchildren. <laughs> Thinking, blimey, how did I get here? Um so so I that was the, the where where a lot of those lyrics came from I have time to look at myself. I did have time to look at myself. It was Christmas and I was alone and uh just, you know, stared at a wall thinking, Well, what about this then? <laughs> so that came from that came from that. Um and it's probably you know, pretty core to to where I was at at the time. Mm. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm back on a streak. <laughs> back on a streak. We'll go to some diary. Um, we managed to do a diary section out of sequence last week, um, mainly because we teed up, we'd kind of chatted and teed up the wrong bit, or we'd missed a short snippet. Yes. So um, yes, <laughs> we we missed Cincinnati. Um, <laughs> So, and because Cincinnati is the last entry for 2004, it's the last entry for 2004 that we've not actually read out loud. We'll just have that one today, so it's going to be it's going to be short because um, it's, it's only about a page long. And then we'll come back to finish this off. So I'm not going to ask anything about the Cincinnati diary entry, um, but at least once we've done that, for those eagle-eyed people of you who've spotted it, yes, we did we did work it out. We did know, and we thought we'd make the apology today. Um, imagine how long the episode would have been last week if we'd included that as well. <laughs> I think what's not in this diary reading is is the walk I made from. Um, I think I got. I ended up getting the train. I don't know what, why I got the train. But I ended up getting the train to Cincinnati, and this gig Bogarts that we were playing was on the same street as the train station. So I thought, oh, I'll just walk. And not realising that, you know, the streets in America are sometimes four miles long. And it was a hot day and I'd got a bag of trundling my little bag along behind me on wheels and thinking, oh, well, it's just up here. And uh, I turned right at the station and just kept walking. And they have these addresses like, 4,312 Blah Street, don't they, in America? Um, so you just keep going for miles and miles, and then the town runs out 
and then you're still on the same street and then you're still walking and then you end up in a really dodgy neighbourhood, which is what I did. Uh, you know, neighbourhoods with washing machines in the front garden and people out on the stoop. And, um, Rick Armstrong to this day still marvels at the fact that I walked from the station to Bogart's and he said, it's a miracle I'm alive. <laughs> um Anyway, that was the day I met Miss uh, Neil Armstrong for the second time. Uh, probably the second and only time. I think I think I only ever met Neil twice. Um, so that was lovely. That was a lovely experience, and made lovelier as well by um, Sudsy Malone's Laundrette and Bar, which is genius. Why haven't we got any of them in England? That is genius. It's genius. I mean, why haven't we got any of those it's in genius. England? Why can't you go to the pub and, you know, put your socks your and drawers in yeah. <laughs> while you're at it? Yeah. Madness. It's genius. It's genius. Yeah. Anyway, here it comes. Sunday, 3rd of October, Cincinnati, Bogarts. Woke up late around 12.45 and realised we'd crossed another timeline east, so it was already 1.45. Quinner was asking if I had any laundry, as he'd found a laundromat across the street. This was no ordinary laundrette. It was Sudsy Malone's Laundrette and Bar, an inspired name, for an inspired idea. You can go along with your dirty washing and load up the machines, then go and have a couple of beers while you're waiting. Don't know why it hasn't caught on in the UK. Probably illegal on the grounds that it would make life better for the people. After Quinner had gone off with the laundry, I found a few more garments in desperate need, so I wandered into Sudsy's myself. It was all dark in the front and a few motley types were on bar stools at the bar. It reminded me a little of Moe's in The Simpsons, or that bar in space in Star Wars. At the back it was lighter, and sure enough, there was the laundromat. I lifted the lid on a few washers before finding our load, and added my bits and bobs to the assembled soups. Made my way back across the road, wondering whether or not it's a crime to lift the lid on someone else's laundry. It had felt like a violation. Returned to the gig on this perfect blue sunny day and sat in the dressing room trying to work up the energy to clean my teeth and get in the shower. I was still stuck to the sofa at 2.30 when Rick Armstrong arrived in the dressing room. Cincinnati is Rick's town and we'd arranged a special swap the band session for him, his brother Mark and his niece Kaylee. This weekend the Armstrongs were coincidentally having a family reunion and there was a rumour that Neil was going to pop in and watch. Rick is the son, and spitting image, of Neil Armstrong, test pilot, astronaut and of course the first man to walk on the moon. I'd met Neil before at Heathrow Airport a couple of years back and he had bought my family lunch. Rick and I chatted down in the bleak dressing room of Bogart's club until finally I could put it off no longer and I excused myself so I could shower and get up. 
Feeling much better, I went upstairs to the stage where the crew were trying to trace the source of a mains crackle. This process dragged on for about an hour and involved much jumping up and down to make the crackle happen, followed by much scratching of heads. Rick's family arrived and there was the sudden chaos of the three small children, Kyle, Lily and Bryce, all strumming guitars and blowing harmonicas. They were certainly in the mood for a musical occasion. Back up on stage, I began checking out my monitors in amongst the persistent mains crackle. Time was running short and we had to get on. I noticed from the stage that Rick's brother, Mark, had arrived along with his wife, Wendy, and their daughter, Kaylee, who was walking on crutches. They've recently discovered that she has ligaments missing from her knees and has had to have an operation involving grafts. Poor thing, must be bloody painful. But she's a spirited girl and seems to be toughing it out. When she's recovered, she has to go through the whole thing again with the other leg. Nice. Then there he was, the great man himself, looking very relaxed in chinos and a Hawaiian shirt, along with his wife, Carol. I said hello and we chatted for a while. Someone had arranged for Rick to get up at soundcheck and play a song, so we organised that we all played Waiting to Happen together. Kaylee got up too. She seemed already perfectly at home on stage and sang well and with great energy. Neil patiently and graciously posed for photographs with the band and Steve R snapped an impromptu shot of he and I in conversation. At this point he has laid his hand upon my shoulder. Being a restrained and measured man by nature, I was touched by this gesture of affection and whenever I look at the photograph I feel doubly privileged to have known him. The mains crackle was finally laid to rest and the rest of the sound check proceeded without incident. Can't remember much about the show. I guess it must have been eclipsed by Sudsies and the Armstrong family sound check. And we're back. Um, and back to our list. Um, and we've got as far as somewhere, just on somewhere else, pretty much agreed that somewhere else from somewhere else is in there in the list in the essence of H. So we've got four to go. Mm. And Happiness is the Road. And, do you know what? It's amazing how many of these albums I've gone title tracks because I've gone Happiness is the Road as well. Mm. The Good Doctor. Mr. Mr. Heisberg Oyen, who sadly passed away about about two months ago. Um, so I'm still thinking of him, um, giving him the occasional nod to the sky. Because if anybody's in the sky keeping an eye on me, it's it's Heisberg Oyen, because he kept an eye on me while, while he was on Earth um, and looked after me. I'm convinced of it. Um, which is strange for someone you hardly, hardly know, really. Except that we, the first time we met, we we made this amazing bond because he was quite convinced we'd been best mates in a previous life. Um, so that was, and he wasn't a fan of the band or anything. He was just a doctor I went to see, but you know, his his eyes lit up when he saw me, and and. Um, he taught me an awful lot. He was like a, a sort of 
shaman, but he was also a philosopher and he was also a doctor and he was also a magician. And you don't meet a lot of them. No. <laughs> I was very fortunate to have met him. And as time went by and I ran, you know, and I met him two or three more times, the more weirded out I was by him and the more more blessed I felt to know him. Um, so happiness is the road is all about the man in Utrecht, Netherlands, who I met, who uh, was a doctor of the body and the soul. Um, and he did help me when I was, you know, all of those low ebbs that I'd been through writing stuff like Somewhere Else in the House. Um, I was in that really bad place. I was all eaten up with guilt and regret. And I'd been dragging it around for years by then, and it was starting to make me ill. Um, and I ran into him, and he, he put his finger on it for me. He just said, I know what's up with you, you know, and you've it's got to stop. You've got to change. You've got to live in the now. Um, you know, you can't beat yourself up forever. And so he he was the first person really to throw an arm around me you know not not because other people weren't bothered just because i think he could see what i was going through no he couldn't see he could feel what i was going through you know these tears are yours not mine and all of that he uh, he held his hand over my over the middle part of my body without touching me and he began to cry and uh, I said, what's up? And he said, these are your tears, they're not mine. Um, so that that was extraordinary. And uh, he wrote me a prescription. And the prescription said, power of now, Eckhart Tolle. Go to a bookshop, buy this book. It'll make you better. And so I did. And to some extent it did. It certainly helped. And so happiness is the road is, is really that message to to live in the present if we can find a way to be present. And the other important message, of course, is that you are not your mind. Your mind is addicted to hurting you. And you know that's true of just about everyone. Your mind will always obsess on those things that hurt you and it will always return to them because it's in in many respects it's your worst enemy and you can only start to cheer up if you can step to one side and ask yourself the question why is my mind doing this to me right now why is my mind doing this to me why doesn't it just leave me alone or why don't i see it for what it is because i am not this thing that's torturing me that's not what i am i'm another thing and I've got this mind that messes with me, you know, and dredges up the past all the time and worries about the future all the time. And none of that stuff is real. The only thing that's real is this moment I've got right now and I'm ruining it. I'm ruining it every day by, you know, worrying about what's coming next and agonising over where I've been, what's happened to me so far. Um, so to be, to live in the present moment is to be free 
and to jettison all the all the pain that you drag around from the past and the anxiety about the future. So he showed me that, and it's easier said than done, but you can do it. And you should lie in bed at night and feel the life. I mean, I said it all in the song, but you should feel the life inside you, feel the fact that you're alive. You're not a piece of dead meat. You're lying in bed and you've got that life force inside you and you should celebrate that because it's an absolute miracle. Um, and not not take it for granted and not ruin it with all of this pointless nonsense which is your past and your future. Here endeth the sermon. But that that's happiness is the road and it's a... Uh, it's a lesson to myself um, and to anyone else who, who cares to learn it. Moving on. Moving on to um, sounds that can't be made. <laughs> Sound that can't be made. What's on there? <laughs> Uh, well, we start. We start with Gaza. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, that was the first thing I wrote down. But then I thought about it and didn't change my mind. But I wrote, I wrote something else down as as well. But let's have a look at the full. Let's have a look at the full list. Um, or at least I will when I get to it. Pour my loves on there, isn't it? Pour my loves on. That's there, the yeah. only one I never wrote. That's that's a really that's a really old Helmer lyric from from way back when that had been sat in my laptop for twenty years nearly, and uh, we finally found a good place for it to go. And that's a that's a lovely lyric. He's such a talented bloke, John. Mm. A lovely song. Uh, Gaza sounds that can't be made. Pour my love. Power. Montreal. Invisible Ink. Lucky Man. The sky above the rain. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and again, I think this one was tricky. Um, I think this one was really tricky, and and you can understand why you would write Gaza down because it was such a big statement and obviously something that you invested a lot in. Um, but I, I also, and again, I'm going with title songs again. I also wrote sounds that can't be made down as well. Hmm. Hmm. I'll make it happen inside you. Silent and high. Well, that's just about about spreading the love, really, um, out into the world. Um, you feel it? We'll feel it humming. Yeah, th- that's quite a good shout, really. Um, In that kind of essence of you thing. Yeah, um, and lucky. Another song you mentioned, purple in as well. <laughs> the aurora. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I just—I was very conscious of the aurora because of uh, having that mate on the space station. Well, I say mate, he's not really a mate, but it, there was a, a Dutch astronaut who phoned us up from the space station or phoned me up a couple of times, uh, which which is extraordinary in itself. You know, you remember stuff like that and... and Sent a few, sent us a few. We got a few friends at the European Space Agency who sent occasionally sent us through photographs 
that had been taken from the ISS of 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 the of of the um, well of Great Britain at night, you know, all lit up uh, with the aurora around the the side of the planet, mm. and that really stuck with me. Um, so sounds that can't be made is is just about that extra thing that you don't hear that that is in the words or in the music, which is the spirit. You know, the, when somebody makes a song and performs a song, there's something else as well as the words and the noise. There's the spirit in which it's delivered. Um, and I suppose that's what I meant by sounds that can't be made. It's that extra... It's the energy, it's the love or the truth or whatever you want to call it, the joy that you're trying to throw in the direction of of the listeners. Um, it's your own spirit. So that's what I was trying to say with sounds that can't be made. And I think Lucky, and it, Lucky Man as well was very, very much, you know, what I'm about. Some of us want a fast car, you know. Some of us just want to stand and gaze, you know. But I, I'm a lucky man. I've got everything that I want. And I have. And I am. You know, and I just wanted to put it out there that, that I know how lucky I am. Um, it's important. We all we all do that now and again. Think, well, what have I got? I'm doing all right, aren't I, really? Um don't really need much else. Um, I'm I'm very fortunate that I have got everything I want, spiritually, materially, uh, and and you know I'm not carrying. Touch wood, please God, I'm not carrying any. Um, you know, mon- monstrous grief. Some people carry monstrous grief you know their kids are unwell or or worse um or they've or they're uh, alienated from members of their own family and have to live with that pain uh again touch wood none of that is true of me I'm, i'm very very lucky i had a pretty happy childhood um and um, I've, you know, I've had all of these happy accidents that've dropped into my lap in adulthood, um, including you, Mister Short. I, oh. may, I may say, um, you know, all these things that add colour and make me giggle have, have fallen into my lap. So maybe Lucky Man describes the essence of me. As well as anything I've I've written, I think that's. I think. Do you know what? I think it's a really good shout. That I think it's a really good shout because that that whole thing about the essence of you and the spirit side of it does run through a hell of a lot of your work. It's referenced in a lot of different places. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's what I write about, yeah. and to write, you know, to write about. Anything else feels hollow somehow. So that always 
is going to work ah, well, its way. Now, you see, you say that, <laughs> apart from when you're having a good rant. <laughs> which takes us to my choice, <laughs> my rather left-field choice um, um, from fear, mm. because I went with the New Kings. Right. Remember a time... Yeah, remember a time when you thought you were... Remember a time when you thought that you mattered, believed in this gold song, Die for Your Country. Yeah, that is is a rant. My God. I can't even think of those words now without thinking of singing them in the Albert Hall and that realisation of what I was saying and where I was saying it. Where you were saying it. That was such a privilege. I was waiting to be struck by lightning. (laughs) That was an incredible performance. That song in that environment was incredible. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't lost on me. It really wasn't. Uh, That was one of the, one of the, you know, one of the short list of amazing moments in my life. That. I mean, there's other great things on fear. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's other. There's lots of great lyrics on fear, and there's lots of. I mean, I mean, white paper is a, a, a beautiful lyric, um, and a very personal lyric as well. But there's just something about that bit in the New Kings. It's like that's a big part of you as well. I think, anyway, from having spoken to you a lot. Yeah, and that came to me. I mean, my my chippy northerners, northerners. <laughs> Northern Northern Uh probably came from my dad because he was chippy as well. You know, he was the first person who said anything to me as a child, where I suddenly thought, "Oh, he's right. That's not fair, is it?" You know, it's, there's always someone at a certain point in your life who makes some kind of a statement to you uh, that makes you think. Oh, hang on a minute. You know, what what you might call politics hmm. um, or a way of looking at society or, or thinking about um, what's fair and unfair in the society that you live. You don't think about that when you're a kid. You don't give a damn. No. You don't you, you don't feel it. You, it doesn't matter how. I mean, you can, you can grow up with no shoes and socks. You can be that poor, but you never really think this isn't fair. You're too busy just being a kid and goofing about and extracting as much fun out of every moment as you can because that's what kids do. But there's always a point in your life where someone says something to you and you go, yeah, they've got a point. That's not, that's not right, is it? And my, I think my dad was the first person to, to say anything that set me thinking about, you know, what was it you once said? Just because, just because your great grand, great great grandfather carried a flag at Agincourt, um, which is true of, of of most of the aristocracy. You know, their great 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 grandfather probably carried a flag at some old battle from way back when. And they inherited, you know, they were given, they were granted some estate or a big house by the king because they'd marched along with him and waved his flag for him. And hundreds of years later, these people are still sitting on these sprawling estates or occupying the House of Lords or whatever. 
and that's how they got there. And my, I'll never forget my dad saying that, just because he carried a flag at Agincourt. He's sitting up there in that big house. Um, and that, so my dad was a little bit conscious of how unfair the system is, the, the English working class system is. Um, he wasn't a forelock toucher. He was, he was proud of who he was, um, and he maybe stuck that inside me. And I've so I've, I've always, I've always carried it. I hate injustice, um, and I write. You know, most of my songs come from injustice, whether it's just a personal feeling of, of. Uh, something not being fair or whether it's it's a you know a big a big sense of unfairness like Gaza uh, and like the new kings when you realize that that your culture your country um, everything that perhaps once you felt you are has all been sold out to big money Um and so often, big money has come illicitly to someone. Not a, not everyone who ends up insanely rich is a bad person. Don't get me wrong, but an awful lot of big money has come from sailing very close to the wind in the beginning, and um, you know, and 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 maybe doing despicable things. I mean. My, most of the wealth in Europe came from trade and slavery, didn't it, originally? And we, we still enjoy the benefits of that to this day. Um, you know, by, by the, 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 our economies are the way they are because, because of all that back then. It was, it was all taken by force. Um... So yeah, but, uh, so the new kings. I was, you know, talking about the Russians and the Tony Blair. Um, the 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 fact that we'd been sold down the river by big money, um, and the 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 scales had fallen from my eyes from when I was young. Because when I was young, I, I was, I mean, not even young, right, right into my middle age, I was. I never made a big thing about being a patriot or, 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 you know, land of hope and glory. But I quietly felt that, Eng that, that England was somehow more decent than a lot of other countries, that there was a sense of decency and fair play here that a lot of other countries didn't have. And... After the Iraq War, that all just those scales just fell from my eyes, and I became ashamed of England. And and I've there's nothing really that's happened since to restore my faith. No, turns out our bats aren't any straighter than anybody else's, are they? That's what I, That's what I've seen. That's what I've seen, and it's just a shame. Mm. It's a shame because they, I could be. And they ought to be. I mean, and there's a lot of decent people all over the world in every country, including England and Scotland and Ireland. 
and Wales. Um, a lot of decent people, and I don't. I think you fool yourself if you're if you're overly proud of your nation, then you're 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 proud of an illusion, and it's it's foolish to be so. Well, particularly when the whole concept of that can just be weaponized and has been weaponized, and it's continuing to be weaponized um, by you know by by usually by scumbags who are just trying to control us all. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got one to go. We've got we've got the new one to go, which I think is is difficult because it's still settling as well. <laughs> I mean, you've lived with it for a lot longer than everybody else has lived with it. Um, but it's still... So what I thought to finish was um, I went for The Crow and the Nightingale to finish <laughs> just because I think it's a wonderful lyric. I think it's a wonderful, refer- a wonderful reference to Elsie, um, but I think it also there's, uh, talks to that little bit of you that's um, so very generous uh, when you're talking about your idols or other people and then so being at the same same time quite self-deprecating well if you can't be self-deprecating when you talking about Leonard Cowan (laughs) yeah fair point then uh, you're deluded (laughs) or you're Joni Mitchell (laughs) (laughs) two possibilities or you're Bob Dylan Uh, Dylan. (laughs) but if you're not any of those you're deluded Um, yeah just just I never saw Leonard play live, and I really wish I had. And, and my mate uh, Nick Heed said he'd seen him. He'd be, he, he, and he said it was just so joyous. Uh, I think he saw him on that last tour, and I thought, oh, God, I wish I'd seen that. Um, I came to the table very late with Leonard Cohen. Maybe I just wasn't old enough. I remember John Liedell's older brother, Alan, uh, had Leonard Cohen albums when we were busy pretending to be John and Paul with the tennis rackets. And Leonard Cohen just seemed so dark and moody and miserable. It, it wasn't really for kids. It's very, very much music for grown-ups. And I never, I just, it just passed me by for years and years until one day, quite by mistake, I heard famous Blue Raincoat and I had to sit down. And since then, you know, I've held him in the highest regard. Um, I think Leonard's somebody who's on, he's on all of our journeys. It's just, he's waiting there for when you're ready. Yes, that's very, very true. Um, He's waiting for when you're old enough and heartbroken enough to, (laughs) for what he's said to really, really resonate and take you apart. He's a he's a you know he's a, he's an artist for proper grown ups, and I would say that even Bob Dylan I would say is a phase you go through on your way to Leonard Cohen when you're yeah. still growing up. Um, he's, yeah, he's, well, he's the man. A, Leonard's not necessarily beating back against the system. He's not doing any of that. That's just the human condition. Mm that he's that he's lived exactly uh, and you know and that's not to say that there isn't that in everybody's writing and bob's writing and what have you but there's just a point where you get to Leonard and it just lands and it's just like whoa yeah and sometimes you know you'll hear a song that depending on your circumstances at the time 
um, is too painful. You can, you know, you have to switch it off. Um, and that's really what I was saying was wrapping the sun with silk. Um, to, you know, make it something that can be looked at without hurting. Um, something. It's a Christmas Carol vibe, isn't it, where he has to put the hat on the spirit because he's just too bright. Ah, oh, maybe. Uh, maybe that's come out of me subconscious. It's not something I consciously remember, but it's it's bound to be in there because I've read Christmas Carol quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. That the, mm. just that. I don't know really where that image came to me from, but the idea of wrapping the sun with silk, you know, wrapping it in a bow. Um, it's a, it's a really in my head. It's a really beautiful image, mm. um, and I'd seen that I'd seen that island that Christo had had wrapped in in all of that pink stuff, um, that photograph from the air of that. So, Lord knows where that all came from, but um, the song itself came from the Book of Longing which was just that little book, that, that little paperback that Leonard had put out of little poems and whatnot. And, and I was reading that when we were doing this house up, so that would have been in 2010. I will have written, thank you for your words and longing. It doesn't really matter whether or not I understood them. Um, I wrote, I wrote that, a good 12 years ago but I think Wrapping the Sun with Silk came later and that's an interesting song because it it just kept growing as we worked on it it wasn't that magnificent wonderful thing that it's become it was it was a poor relation to some of the other songs to be honest and then it just kept growing I had the idea of putting that drop in the middle to make it something. The drop, you know, that can be looked at without hurting. I can try, bam, back in. Um, when we were first working on it, it just it had just sort of carried on at that big, all, all guns blazing dynamic, and it was going nowhere. And so, yeah, I put that drop in the make it something. Can you look at Um I put that little drop in. And then, of course, Tim introduces to Choir Noir and they, they just added that whole other dimension to it. And there was um, there was a little moment on the end and I said, oh, we should, we should, put, that on the, we should put that on the beginning, Mike. Let's cut that out. Let's expose it and stick it right in the beginning of the song all on its own. So that's where that little choral moment right at the beginning before the piano came from um so i ha i mean i i don't often blow my own trumpet but i i had quite a lot to do with how that song turned out uh, with the various elements and the shape of it um a lot of the quite a few of those came from suggestions that, that i'd made along the way um and it became slowly became this wonderful thing and and then once we released the record 
it, I was surprised actually at people coming back going, Crow and the Nightingale, that's the one. So you never know which song. I was never sure about Sierra Leone. I'm very proud of the lyric, but I, I, I thought, has it lost its way while we're putting it together? Is it, is it, is it doing the thing that I'd hoped it would do? And then again, people have come back and with with such enthusiasm for Sierra Leone that it's been a relief. And and what I thought might be the poor relation on the album certainly isn't. And and a lot of people have have pulled that out as as a um, as a high point. Mm. So uh, that's been a relief. That they've been the two surprises, really. Sierra Leone and and Crow have been the two songs that I've been really pleased at how people have reacted to. Because I knew that Care would slay everybody. Yeah, yeah. I knew it would. It slayed me <laughs> when I heard it. And so there's certain songs you think, well, that's gonna that's gonna knock them over. Um, and then there are others you think, oh, I don't know about that. Is that is it all right? Is it all right? And then when you find out it is, it's such a huge relief. Um, so uh, what did you say before I started on on with all of that? What, what were we talking about? Just that I that's what I'd that's what I'd picked. Just um, oh, crow, yeah. You know, it, it was a tough a tough shout to pick anything off off the new one. Um, but that that just felt that just felt like there was so many bits of you and bits of your journey and what have you that I I, I thought I'd, I'd I'd land there, which gets us brings us to the end actually, and we ought to we ought to stop because we've done exactly what we did last time. We've been going for well over an hour, uh, um, so this is going to be another ninety eight megabyte um, file when it drops. Um, I think that's I th- can I just say thank you because that. As a, and it was a bit of a bonkers idea at the beginning, but that's also a difficult thing for you to talk about in terms of, you know, it's 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 me drawing some stuff out and saying, oh, I think I think there's a lot of you in these songs, and I think there's a lot of what from what I've you know from getting to know you, um, and obviously you know puts you in a slightly difficult place to to talk about some stuff. Thank you very much for for for, for indulging me with that. Well, I asked for it. Um, <laughs> what are we going to go on to next week? Hmm. is we're going to go on to what was the original idea, which is a set list, one song off each of your albums. So, which actually will be different to this because a set list is, is you know, is going to be very different in terms of... So next week, we just... Same thing. And I'm, I'm going to leave you now with homework to come back with a set list, one song <laughs> from each album. You can only have one. Fly me. And you've right. got to sing it. So before you pick everyone that's 20 minutes long... You're just giving yourself a three and a half hour gig if you're not careful. Yes, good point. So pick a few short ones. <laughs> and with that, we'll leave you for 117. Righty-ho. Thanks for listening, folks. I'm a bit wrung out after that. <laughs> it's been, do you know what? I think maybe we just finished. No Crooncast today. Maybe we just finish on that. All right, then. Because it is a bit wrung out, isn't it? Yes, I'll put this clarinet down. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.